hello, listeners. Uh, this is Dr. Chris Hughes again uh, with a, um, a new podcast. Um, today, we're going to talk about a very important topic um, that is unfortunately actually one of the major um, roadblocks to um, having a healthy mouth and a smile, and that is uh, pain, fear, and anxiety uh, related to actually getting dental care and going to the dentist. Uh, so anyway, what we're going to be discussing today is how pain, fear, and anxiety, how the pain, fear, and anxiety cycle can be broken uh, with the use of sedation in dentistry. Um, so uh, we're also going to be talking a lot about sedation in dentistry and how that can help people break the pain, fear, and anxiety cycle. Um, so as we get started here, um, let's, uh, let's talk first about what is the pain, fear, and anxiety cycle and what, uh, what's the problem with it. Um, there's probably a lot of people out there listening that may actually be able to relate to this. So <clears throat> this is how it works. A uh, patient um, has uh, dental pain. Uh, tooth pain, whatever, pain in their gum, whatever it is, usually it's going to be tooth pain. And so do they go to the dentist. Um, unfortunately, uh, they have a bad experience. Maybe they could not get numb enough. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, there was something in the procedure that the dentist did that uh, they had pain with. In any event, they experience pain. Well, what happens next? Well, the pain uh, generates anxiety. Um, we all, one of the main things that we all search to uh, avoid in our lives is pain. And so if we have pain inflicted on us, uh, not intentionally, but uh, regardless, if we have a painful experience, we, we get anxiety over that because we want to we avoid the pain. So patient uh, comes in, they have a painful experience, they develop anxiety about the experience at the visit, and after they leave. And the more they think about it, uh, the more anxiety it, it uh, generates after they leave. And that creates fear. So now we have somebody that becomes very fearful of coming to the dentist. So that leads to avoidance, uh, which actually should have mentioned in our cycle. It's pain, fear, anxiety, and avoidance. So, so then the person avoids going to the dentist. They don't want to go back. They had a bad experience. They had a painful experience, created anxiety and fear, and now they're avoiding. So unfortunately, what happens is, is because they avoid, because they don't come back for even routine procedures, or actually, more importantly, um, hygiene procedures, maintenance procedures. Uh, they come back, and now, uh, because they've been avoiding going to the dentist, uh, something goes wrong again, and they, they have pain, okay? Uh, usually in these cases, the pain, uh, the source of the pain is something more complex and uh, more uh, difficult to treat, because 
uh, by the time they come in, the pain is usually really, really intense because they've been avoiding. So now the problem is from the dentist perspective that now we have a person in a lot of pain and usually the pain is associated with infection. And guess what? Uh, Our local anesthetics that we use in medicine and in dentistry um, uh, do not work well in a painful, in in a uh, an infected environment. So, in other words, um, the numbing agents that we use uh, to get a tooth numb, if the tooth is infected, now um, the numbing agents don't work as well, and so we try to numb the area, but it doesn't work as well. But yet the patient needs to be alleviated from pain, and guess what? That leads to another painful experience, maybe even worse than the first time. And because because the patient can't get numb because of the effect of the uh, infection in the tissues, uh, which then amplifies the anxiety, the patient's already uh, uh, anticipating a painful event. Uh, Unfortunately, they are... uh, they're not disappointed in that, and uh, this, this creates even more anxiety, which leads to even more fear. And it just goes on from there and there. The fear obviously uh, leads to more avoidance, and we get the same thing over and over and over. And unfortunately, these people are very miserable with this situation, Um the, the, they have pain, they can't eat, they can't chew their food properly. Uh, that means that they can't get uh, nutrition properly from good foods. Um, you know, most really what we call good foods are foods that really require us to chew. Uh, the problem foods, which also um, cause more decay in teeth, are processed foods. And we've all heard about processed foods and, and how they're not good for us in terms of overall health with our diet. Uh, but they're also not good for us from the perspective of our teeth because processed foods uh, are soft, they break down easily, and they lead to more plaque accumulation, uh, which then can lead to more tooth decay and gum disease problems. So uh, it's kind of a vicious cycle in that way because these people are now forced to eat more processed foods. They can't eat fruit, you know, apples, carrots, lettuce, things like this, they can't chew because they're missing too many teeth or the teeth that they have are too painful to chew with. And then uh, it leads to this same sort of cycle, uh, which is really a shame and affects a significant amount of the population. Um, I don't have any hard and fast numbers, but I do know that only about maybe 50% of the population seeks routine dental care. And the other 50%, certainly a high percentage of that, maybe in the 30 to 40% range, don't seek dental care routinely because they're, they, they, they are caught up uh, to varying degrees in the pain, fear, anxiety, and avoidance cycle. Okay, so this is a, a big problem. Uh, uh, for people and uh, in, you know, in our general population. So um, the, the real question is, well, what can be done about that? How, you know, how do we break this cycle? It doesn't seem like there's a good answer 
because every time a person goes, especially if they're already primed to have a bad experience uh, or painful experience, they, they already have in their mind that's going to occur. So there's a lot of anxiety built up around that. And by the way, anxiety potentiates, potentiates or, or makes fear worse. There's an interesting relationship there. Um, and so um, the cycle continues. Uh, and like I said, if you think about it, um, pain and fear are intimately linked. Uh, the more painful, or excuse me, the more fearful a person anticipates an experience to be, uh, they will not be disappointed. They will have more pain, okay? Uh, which again is unfortunate, but this is the psychology of how pain works. The other thing is uh, people will tend to uh, remember pain, uh, whether it's in a dental office or whatever, they'll tend to remember a painful experience 10 times more than they will, uh, unfortunately, a, uh, a pleasant experience. So anyway, um, pain and fear are intimately linked, and they are certainly an intimate part of the pain, fear, anxiety, and avoidance cycle. So anyway, um, what, uh, what can be done about that? Well, uh, first of all, in the last uh, 20 to 30 years, um, or even longer than that, let's say at least in the last 30 years, fortunately, uh, dentistry has uh, progressed quite a bit in uh, just in general in understanding this problem and developing uh, more uh, effective local anesthetics. Um, but also, local anesthetics can only do so much. Um, we also have to think about the mind and what can be done to affect or relax the mind um, to help certain people with this uh, pain, fear, anxiety, and avoidance cycle. So uh, what uh, pharmacolo pharmacologically or uh, with the use of medications can we do to, uh, to help this problem, uh, to help alleviate it? So anyway, um, probably the first thing that people uh, may think about and which is I would say fairly common in most dental offices. I would say probably around 70 to 80% of dental offices uh, utilize this technique. It's basically um, nitrous oxide. Many people call it, or it's been known by the nickname of laughing gas. Uh, it's a combination of um, uh, nitrogen and uh, oxygen. Uh, and it has a, uh, an effect on people of... Um, making them feel more relaxed, uh, kind of a little more uh, dissociated sometimes from uh, what's going on. Um, <laughs> in most cases, it really doesn't make people laugh. Again, um, medications, especially that affect the mind, a lot of how that medication works has a lot to do with what, uh, what the person thinks is going to happen. Um, this is uh, not something unique uh, just to, uh, to nitrous oxide, but uh, any type of drug that has, has uh, an effect on the mind, um, you know, what we're expecting uh, can heavily influence how the drug actually uh, 
performs or works. So in any way, uh, in any event, nitrous oxide is, is a gas uh, that's breathed typically uh, – we, it's breathed through the nose. Uh, we put on what's called a nasal hood. Patient breathes that, and um, they feel um, they they feel a little bit light. They feel maybe like they don't care so much as what's going on in their surroundings. Uh, some people feel a little high. Um, some people feel at higher levels, uh, you know, their, their extremities get a little tingly. They feel a little floaty. Um, and um, that's what nitrous oxide does. Um, it's kind of what I would call your first line uh, to help people relax. Um, the only problem with nitrous oxide is um, people that have – uh, quite a bit of anxiety, it's just not enough for them. Um, they need something more to, uh, to uh, settle them down and, and make them feel comfortable. Um, so, and also at high levels for a prolonged time, for more than say 30 or 40 minutes, um, in many people, uh, nitrous oxide can, can bring on nausea and even sometimes vomiting. So uh, that can be obviously another problem if the procedure is going to run more than 30 or 40 minutes. Um, so another, uh, another kind of basic thing that can be done is an oral sedative, in other words, a pill. A uh, kind of a sleeping pill can be given to a patient. Now, a typical uh, pill that could be given uh, for uh, to make uh, help a patient feel more sleepy uh, would be uh, Valium, um, Ativan, uh, Halcyon, uh, any of the benzodiazepines, uh, which is a category of drug uh, which causes sedation, uh, can be used. Those are just a few examples of uh, medications I've used in the past. Um, you can give this to the patient the night before, help them get a good night's sleep, have them take it about an hour before, uh, and um, you'll have an effect. Now, the problem with just giving the pill alone, uh, let's say Valium, is that uh, it's very hard to predict the level of sedation that the patient will get from that or the level of calming effect. Uh, you may give it to uh, someone who is 30 years old, uh, who smokes and who um, maybe um, dabbles a little bit with other medications or that's already taking uh, antidepressants uh, or anti-anxiety medications. And uh, you give them five milligrams of Valium and, um, an hour before, and they're coming in and they are, they're bouncing off the walls. I mean, it's as if the, the medication had no effect. Uh, on the other hand, you could get it to give it to another person, um, maybe, you know, uh, 60 years old, uh, female, um, that's, um, not taking any other medications, uh, and um, this person could be very, very sleepy or, or you know, falling asleep in the waiting room, um, which um, actually might be desirable. But the problem is, is that you gave the same drug to each individual and uh, you, want, you want something dependable. So, you know, you don't always know 
uh, it can be a, a very much of a mystery how how well that drug is going to work, but yet you want it to work well enough that it's going to achieve its end. So the problem is it's a little bit of a guessing game. And then, uh, of course, the other issue is, uh, well, let's say that the guy that came in that, uh, you know, he, he took the drug an hour before and now, you know, his appointment is nine o'clock and he tr- took the drug at eight and he's still wide awake and he, you know, he, he doesn't feel like he's even taken anything. You might say, well, just give him another five milligrams of Valium. Well, the problem is, is that it's going to take another 45 minutes uh, for that to be digested, uh, metabolized, passed through the liver, and then have an effect uh, on the brain. And even at that, you don't know uh, what five milligrams more is going to do. It could have uh, a very little effect. Uh, it could have, uh, or it could have a much a greater, greater effect. But for a nine o'clock appointment, then all of a sudden you have to think about um, starting at 10 o'clock and that just throws the day off. So that's really not a good uh, alternative is redosing the patient. Now, another thing that can be done is you can do both a pill and nitrous. Um, And in many patients, that seems to work fairly well. Um, But still, you have the problems with potential nausea and vomiting. Um, and the other thing is it, it requires that um, you have to use the nitrous so you have an, a nasal hood over the patient. So it's a little bit harder to work on the patient. And um, still in certain people, it can be rather unpredictable um, because not everybody responds to that. Um, however, it is, um, it is a, a fairly good technique. And it's used by um, uh, more dentists, uh, certainly more than just the nitrous alone. Uh, it's better. Um, it doesn't require much in the way of, uh, of advanced training to be able to do that. Uh, and it doesn't require any sort of special permit. Um, so, and that's why... Uh, more dentists tend to do that because uh, because it doesn't uh, really require much additional training. Um, so uh, we've talked about a couple of uh, strategies. Um, we talked about nitrous oxide. We talked about oral sedative or a sleeping pill. And then we've talked about combining those. So um, those are all good, but they're still not as good as what the best form of sedation is, uh, which is IV sedation, also called IV conscious sedation. Uh, By the way, uh, just so you know, we do all of these methods in our practice. So we we do the whole spectrum. Uh, However, uh, and and we've been doing it for uh, well over uh, 15 years. Um, Personally, what I've found is that uh, IV sedation is the quickest, it's the most efficient, and it's the most profound and it's the most uh, predictable. Uh, and we're going to talk about why that is uh, right now. So what is IV uh, sedation? Well, basically, IV sedation is, uh, is a technique uh, where uh, an IV catheter is inserted into a vein. Uh, we usually put, uh, put the IV in. I usually put it in in the hand or the, um, 
what's called the ACF, which is kind of where the bend in your elbow is. There's usually a, a nice vein there. Uh, either way, um, we get the IV in and we we start an IV drip. Okay, so uh, we we uh, we use usually uh, what's called a ringer solution, uh, which is a, a common solution uh, used in IVs um, to um, introduce into the vein, and then we inject into the um, into the solution the the ringers. Um, through the line, we inject a medication that will um, make a person sleepy. And uh, the the uh, the great thing about the uh, doing it this way is that you have with the vein you bypass the liver and you might bypass metabolism of a drug, and it goes right to the brain. So when we inv- inject a sleep medication. In most instances, we can see an effect within a few minutes, um, sometimes even uh, within uh, 15 or 20 seconds, because that drug is going to travel directly to the brain and have an effect, okay? So a lot better than trying to swallow a pill, um, because uh, you're going to see the effect immediately. The other thing is, is because we can see the effect immediately, um, we can administer another dose according to what we're seeing. So, for example, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, the 30-year-old and the 60-year-old and the 30-year-old taking a drug and uh, not having much response and the 60-year-old having a lot of response to it. So when if we were to put those people on an IV and, and give them a sleep drug, um, what we would see is, um, you know, with one dose, maybe one person wouldn't respond very well. So within uh, a few minutes, uh, we could give them another dose. Uh, on the other hand, the person that responds highly to the drug, we give them, we give them, uh, two or four milligrams of uh, what we typically use uh, is midazolam. We give that to them and boom, they're already down, they're calm, they're, they're sleepy, they're, their eyes are rolling back in their head and uh, they're, 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 they've drifted off into sleepy town. Uh, we know that we don't have to redose that person and then we can start, uh, go ahead and get the numb and start the procedure. So IV sedation is by far the, uh, the most effective and the quickest way to, uh, to get a patient sedated. And then, of course, the great thing is, is that IV sedation, uh, the, the, the main thing about it is it helps break this pain, fear, and anxiety cycle. So number one, the patient knows they're going to be going to sleep or be in a twilight sleep is what we frequently call it. And um, so that helps uh, alleviate a lot of anxiety right off the bat. Um, Then the other great thing is um, after the patient, after the procedure is done and the patient comes around, um, the next day uh, they're not going to remember much. Um, Most sedation drugs have an amnesic effect. Uh, In other words, it, it helps you forget. So um, 
no matter what happened during the procedure, uh, (laughs) good or bad, the patient is unlikely to remember very much. And certainly, uh, if they don't remember much, then they don't have the fear and anxiety that's generated from a bad experience. Um, so that's the other really great thing about uh, doing IV sedation uh, and using IV sedation uh, medications is because uh, it also helps people um, not recall what happened and uh, always uh the old uh, kind of thought about, well, if a tree falls in the forest and no one heard it, did it really, did it really fall? Well, <laughs> I don't know, but I think you get the idea. <clears throat> so, um, one question might be, okay, well, uh, IV sedation is so great. Well, you know, why aren't all dentists doing it? Because probably only. Maybe I would say out of general dentists, um, I would say out of a hundred general general dentists, there may be two percent, maybe one or two, and that's even stretching it <clears throat> that do IV sedation. So the question is, if this is such a great form, why, why don't we see much more of it? And the simple answer is um, advanced training. Um, it takes a significant amount of advanced training uh, to get uh, to be able to do IV sedation. Um, in the state in, of Illinois, it actually requires a special permit. Uh, so, in a court, uh, a sedation permit. So, um, obviously, to get that permit, you have to demonstrate to the state that you've taken the the appropriate amount of training, have done so many sedations in your training. Uh, have passed, um, of course, all the requirements uh, to be able to do IV sedation, uh, along with um, passing uh, your uh, ACLS, your uh, uh, advanced cardiac life support. Uh, Because uh, when we get into IV sedation, uh, uh, we get into much more uh, of controlling the patient's uh, physiology. Uh, We're where uh, when we do IV sedation, it, it requires a much more um, rigorous and specific monitoring because um, although it's completely safe, it requires that the person, the doctor that's doing this, the sedation know exactly what they're doing uh, because if they don't, uh, they you could get into some real problems. Um, and uh, certainly um, in well-trained and experienced hands, everything goes great, okay? But you always have to be prepared for things uh, in sedation that, uh, you know, um, you have to pre- be prepared to uh, avoid potential problems. Um, certainly when patients are sedated with IV, they're... Um, their potential for their breathing can be um, more of a problem. Um, when patients become very sedated, they become very relaxed, and their tongue tends to get uh, loosened, and when they're reclined, it falls back into the back of their throat, and it can block their airway. Okay, And so then that can compromise their breathing. If we have a breathing compromise, then that can, we're not getting enough oxygen, then obviously we all know that that can cause a problem. That can lead to other serious problems. So um, 
the, uh, the dentists that are trained in IV sedation have a great deal of uh, good training, or should have at least good training in how to manage these problems, how to manage airway, how to man- manage uh, breathing. And along with other, other things, we monitor blood pressure. You need to know what's going to go on if you have a problem with blood pressure that's too high or too low. And um, also uh, we monitor the CO2 and, exi- and uh, expired air and uh, heart rate. So we all, uh, so, so as a dentist, you know, your focus is, a- is actually to do the procedure. Um, but when you're getting into IV sedation, and when you're when we when you're doing the sedation, in other words, you're generally in medicine. An anesthesiologist monitors all that, but uh, you're doing this in your private office, so you have to have good training because as you're doing the procedure, you're actually monitoring the patients, uh, their physiology. You're you're monitoring their their breathing, their heart rate, and so forth, and um, you have to be constantly aware that those. Um, those vital signs are uh, are well within a safe limit, in order that um, that the sedation continues smoothly and that you can complete your procedure. If, on the other hand, there's problems with that, you usually have to actually stop your procedure that you're doing and make modifications um, to the patient's airway uh, or medications in order to ensure that their, their vital signs stay in, in, uh, well within a healthy range to avoid any sort of emergencies. So this is why IV sedation, this is why 90% or 95% of dentists are not doing IV sedation, uh, because it requires, uh, a lot of additional training and really experience too, in becoming familiar with, uh, maintaining, a patient's uh, vital signs, maintaining them well within a good, safe range, uh, so that there, um, there, there are no problems, and um, um, you're able to complete the procedure uh, in a safe way. Um, so, anyway, um, the benefits, obviously, to IV sedation, like I said, are that uh, number one, you can sedate the patient fairly rapidly and fairly predictably. Uh, And number two, um, the patient tends not to remember very much from the appointment. And you do kind of see a, a wide range of responses to that. I've seen patients that barely even remembered uh, coming into the parking lot before the procedure. Uh, I've had a few other patients uh, say, yeah, I, I kind of remember this, but, you know, it wasn't much. So generally they, they, they remember very little to nothing, okay? Um, and also during, uh, during the sedation, patients will kind of go through a cycle. They'll go through more of a deep sleep, and then they'll come up a little bit. And as they come up, then that's when we give them a little bit more drug. We'll put, you, we'll put them back into a more uh, deeper um, sleep. Now, another thing that is worth mentioning is that um, 
this is what we call IV conscious, okay? So IV conscious sedation basically means that um, the patient is more in a twilight sleep. Um, it's not the same as general anesthesia. That's an important thing to, to remember. Every now and then we'll say, uh, we'll get people that say, well, you know, I, I, I want basically like general anesthesia where, you know, I, you know, I don't want to know, I want to be completely out. And so uh, the thing is, is that you need to actually have to go to the hospital and have an anesthesiologist do that. Uh, because in general anesthesia, uh, they take the patient very, very deep uh, to the point that they are completely unresponsive and actually to the point where they can't even breathe on their, their own. You actually have to breathe for them and put them on a ventilator. Okay, so uh, that's great for open heart surgery um, or, you know, surgeries like that. But to remove a tooth or uh, do a root canal or put a few implants in, that type of sedation is really not required. Because after all, you got to remember the patient's also numbed for the procedure. Um, so anyway, um, general anesthesia is not something uh, that is is routinely done in the uh, in the dental office. But IV sedation, IV conscious sedation, where the patient is in a, is still responsive. In other words. Uh, the patient can be sedated, but if you shake them or, uh, um, you know, really talk to them loudly, they will respond. The best way to understand it is, is kind of like right when you're, when you're going to sleep and you're kind of in that kind of quasi dream state and drifting into sleep, that's what IV sedation is like. In other words, if somebody shook you or, or woke you, you would wake up. You wouldn't just lay there unresponsive like you would in general anesthesia. Uh, but at the same time, you would want to go back to sleep. And so that's the best way to describe IV conscious sedation is it's a twilight sleep. And the other thing is, is that it's used in conjunction with getting the person numb. So you get them numb. You do the IV conscious sedation. Um they're in their twilight sleep. You get the procedure done. If they come up a little bit and they, they start to wake up, all you do is give them a little bit more in their IV. They go right back to sleep. You continue your procedure and you're able to get it done. And guess what? They wake up the next day, or excuse me, they wake up at the end of the procedure. A lot of times they feel good. They feel rested. Uh, and the next day they don't remember anything. So uh, it's a win-win for everybody. Uh, some other really big uh, advantages of IV conscious sedation is that you can keep the patient sedated for several hours. Um, getting back to talking about people on the, on the uh, pain, fear, anxiety, avoidance, pain cycle, a lot of these people just don't have one toothache. They have multiple dental problems. And that, that's another problem because... Often when they go to the dentist, they'll, you know, there'll be one problem that gets gets addressed, but then there's like four other problems or five other problems that that still need to be addressed. And so so all of a sudden now we're coming back, you know, four or five times and having to go through the anxiety and fear uh, associated with uh, that appointment four or five times. So that also keeps people away. Well, 
the great thing about IV sedation is you can get all those problems taken care of in one visit. And wow, isn't that great? So uh, typically in my practice, uh, when we're going to be doing a sedation, and by the way, we do a lot of sedation in, in our area. Um, there, uh, I believe I'm I'm the only one that's doing IV conscious sedation uh, that's a general dentist that does uh, multiple procedures. Uh, so anyway, a patient maybe in our office, they may need, let's say, a tooth extracted. They may need a root canal. They may need an implant. Uh, they may need a crown. Okay, all those procedures, you know, uh, all those procedures need to be done. Um, however, uh you know, again, if we weren't doing IV conscious, he'd have to come back for, for all those procedures. But when we do IV sedation, we can keep the sed- uh, pa- patient sedated three, four, even up to five hours. And we can get all those procedures completed in one visit. Um, I usually tell patients we can get it all done in the morning um, because they typically like to, to do those, uh, do sedation and do uh, uh, longer procedures in the morning. So anyway, uh, again, it's a, it's a win-win for everybody because you can get multiple procedures done all at once and not have to go through, uh, you know, individual appointments. Uh, certainly for the working person too, it saves time. Um, you know, time is, is a critical element today. Um, we all work. We, we don't have time to take off multiple times to get multiple things done, even if we're not fearful. Um, so this is another big, big advantage uh, for people that, that need a lot of dentistry done to get back a healthy smile, uh, to get back, uh, get rid of the pain and get back teeth in their mouth that they can actually chew and function with and enjoy their food again, instead of having to go through five or 10 appointments every week, every other week, you know, 10 times over the next three or four or five, six months, uh, this can be accomplished, uh, a lot of times in just one appointment uh, or maybe a couple of appointments that are, or sometimes even more than that, but each appointment we're getting multiple procedures done and making huge advancements instead of um, 10 half an hour appointments. It's uh, far better to get, uh, you know, uh, all those appointments condensed into a morning. Um, the other thing is, is that once the patient is is uh, sedated and they're numbed, it's much easier actually for for the doctor to get multiple procedures done. Uh, so it all goes hand in hand very nicely. Um, this, uh, for, you know, people needing multiple procedures done. Uh, to have them uh, sedated. Uh, Every now and then, uh, patients that I know that the procedure is going to be long, um, even if they're not fearful, I'll I'll recommend the uh, sedation for them because uh, the other thing is they don't, when they're sedated, they don't have a good handle on time. So, you know, it can be hard to lay in a dental chair for three or four hours sometimes. So when we do the IV sedation, when they come up, uh, you know, let's say that it's been a three-hour appointment, I'll say, uh, so, you know, now that you're starting to come around, how long do you think you've been here? And they'll 
you know, they'll say, well, uh, you know, maybe 20 minutes, 15 minutes. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, we started at eight o'clock and it's now around 1130. And I'll say, well, take a look at the clock. It's, uh, it's 1130. You actually been here uh, for several hours and, you know, we got XYZ done. And, uh, you know, they're pretty happy about that. And like I said, frequently they, they leave feeling Oh, fairly good. They feel rested. Uh, and uh, again, um, that's what we want to see. Um, we want to see the uh, pain, fear, anxiety, and avoidance uh, cycle broken. And uh, we want to see people happy and uh, with their dental visits and that um, multiple things have been accomplished at the same time to to uh, avoid multiple visits and, and multiple having to get numb and, and so forth. Uh, so again, it is a really great, uh, wonderful uh, technique that, uh, that we do in our office um, to help people in this way. And um, I'm just thankful that, uh, that I got the training and actually continue to train. It's a skill just like anything else. So uh, as, you, as you progress, you learn new things, you get more training, and you even get better at it. Um, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a great thing and, and I highly recommend it for, for people that need um, um, multiple uh, dental procedures, even if they just need uh, a few teeth uh, removed um, or or treated, okay, and they're fearful, it's good for that. Another interesting thing about IV sedation that I found in my practice, uh, and uh, kind of wrapping it up here, is that um, it it helps break that cycle, obviously. And I have a number of patients um, that, you know, had this cycle going on and they just needed something to break this cycle. So we used IV sedation. And, uh, but now they come in for their maintenance visits and they don't need to be sedated for that. Or they might need a small filling. Because they've become accustomed to coming to our office and they've been they've they've become comfortable and most importantly they've developed a great deal of trust, they have overcome and broken the pain, fear, and anxiety uh, cycle. Uh, and so that's probably the most rewarding thing at all, uh, of all, I should say, is that uh, the, the IV sedation helps break that cycle so that actually they can become what I call kind of just a normal dental patient that, that doesn't need all the sedation. And uh, they've learned that, you know, going to the dentist can actually be a, a good experience uh, and that uh, they have somebody in their corner that can help them maintain a healthy smile and healthy teeth and chewing ability for the rest of their life. Um, so uh, the idea is, you know, certainly to, to use IV sedation or even other forms of sedation as a sort of an icebreaker to break the cycle, but eventually they get through that, the cycle is broken, they don't have the fear anymore, and now just uh, 
especially for for maintenance or routine procedures, you know, having their teeth clean. They feel good about the dentist and they feel good about coming back. And that is how the fear, pain, anxiety, and avoidance cycle is broken by using IV sedation. So I hope you enjoyed uh, my podcast today. Uh, and uh, I am Dr. Christopher Hughes. I'm at uh, Hughes Dental Arts Center in Heron, Illinois, on Route 13, uh, near the intersection of Route 13 and 148 in the Logan Professional Park. Um, you can contact us at um, for more information, 618-993-3100, or you can go to HughesDentalArtCenter.com and uh, you can learn more about our office, uh, our procedures. Of course, we do a lot of cosmetic dentistry, reconstructive dentistry, implant dentistry. Uh, and of course, we do all that with IV sedation if a person wants it. And especially for the person who's looking for, looking to break the, the uh, pain, fear, anxiety, and avoidance cycle, I invite you to come and check us out. So uh, have a great day, and uh, I look forward to speaking with you all next time. Mm-hmm.